0: Jameis, The Case of the Mason Jars, Part 5, Questions from the Police, is based on the book by John MacDonald, A Bullet for Cinderella.
1: There were two of them. One was a thin, sandy man in uniform. The other man was a massive, middle-aged man in a gray suit with a pouched, florid face. The uniform did all the talking. The guy in the gray suit looked bored and just along because he had to be. I recognized both types. The eager young rookie and the detective who's seen enough not to care anymore. Your name James? Who wants to know? Please!
2: Come on along!
1: What for? Lieutenant wants to talk to you! I thought about walking away but decided against it. I didn't want to attract any attention. There was nothing I had done that would cause the local constabulary to question my actions. I went along. They put me in a police sedan and drove about eight blocks and turned into an enclosed courtyard through a gray stone arch. The other patrol cars were parked there. They took me through a door that was one of several opening onto the courtyard. We went up wide wooden stairs that were badly worn to the second floor. Smells reminded me of the old precinct back in Pensacola. This building was older, more run down. It had that underlying institutional smell of dust, industrial cleaner with an orange aftertaste, sweat, and stale urine. I remember being on the force. I remember how it felt. I remember Floyd. We went by open doors. One door opened onto a big file room with fluorescent lights and rows of rolling gray shelves filled with files. We turned into a small office where a thin man sat behind a desk that faced the door. His face was young, with dark hair and darker eyes. A small metal sign on the door said, Detective Lieutenant Sudip Prasad, The office had cracked buff plaster walls. Files were piled on the side table. A smallish man with white hair and a permanent scowl sat half behind the man at the desk on an oversized ledge of a single window. I've sat in on countless interviews, but now I was on the other side of the desk. That life I lived seemed far back in the past. Here in Lebrook, I was the one being questioned. I didn't like it much. I stopped at the entrance. The board guy in the gray suit looked at me with complete indifference. His eyes flicked over to the man behind the desk. Sir, this is James. Okay. The uniform left after the guy at the desk flipped up his hand in a dismissive gesture. The board guy stayed and closed the door. I glanced back and saw the board man in a gray suit leaning against the closed door. My palms
2: started sweating. The man behind the desk started talking. You're new to Lebrook. I'm Lieutenant Persad. You got some identification? Sure. Can I see it? I acted
1: like I was having trouble getting my wallet out of my pocket. I was trying to decide whether to give them my driver's license or my PI license. He'd find out soon enough. I handed him both. The guy behind him leaned forward and raised his eyebrows.
2: Prasad handed them back to me. Hunter James, private detective. You don't have a license in this state. You working a case in Lebrook? No,
1: I'm here on personal reasons. I'm not working any case. I would have stopped in here first if I was. You have family or friends in Lebrook? One of the guys on the force with me was from Lebrook. He died in the line of duty, Floyd Vincent. The guy sitting on the window ledge tilted his head and looked at me hard, but otherwise didn't move.
2: You have a local address, James? Or do you make the 700-mile one-way commute from Pensacola every day? What do you think? I heard the board guy behind me
1: shift. Prasad looked sharply over my shoulder and gave a slight shake of his head. And
2: what is that address, for the record? I gave him the hotel name and the room number. Thank you for your cooperation, Mr. James. If we need to get in touch with you, do you have a cell phone? I gave him one of my business cards. It's on there.
1: Prasad nodded and took the card, then stood up and moved to a cabinet. He took a folder from the file on top before returning to his desk. Why did you come to
2: Lebrook, Mr. James?
1: I wasn't sure what he was digging for. I decided to stick to the lie that I was spreading around. I knew others that died in the line of duty. I'm going to write a book about it. Here's my notes. Prasad started flipping through my notes. The guy behind him leaned over his shoulder to get a look. Why didn't you tell Leon Vincent? I didn't know how he would take it. I don't want to add to his grief. You didn't tell
2: Stucky, either. He has no reason to know my business. But you went out there to see him, and you were both on the force with Floyd Vincent. It would seem natural to tell him. I don't care how it seems. I didn't tell him. If a man came to town with a cooked-up story about writing a book, it would give him a chance to nose around, wouldn't it?
1: I guess it would. What else have you written? Nothing else. Prasad held my business card back up to me so I could see
2: it. You need to get a card that says Writer on it. The guy on the ledge smirked. Funny guys. Are you familiar with our state laws and local ordinances on private investigators?
1: No, I'm not on a case.
2: It wasn't a concern for me. Do you know a woman named Mary Horseman? No, I've never heard of her. Were you employed by Mary Horseman to come to
1: Lebrook? No, I told you I never heard of her. Nobody's paying me anything. "'I'm in town to do some research for a book.' Prasad leaned back in his chair. He glanced behind me at the man on the ledge, turned back to me and started drumming his hands on the
2: file. "'You're a former cop, so I'm going to share some information with you. We were advised a month ago that Mary Horseman had hired an investigator to come here on an undercover assignment. We've been looking for him. He would be the third one she sent here. The first two made a botch of their job.' There was no job for any of them. Mary Horseman is a persistent and misguided woman. The case, if there is any case, was completely investigated by this department. Our job is to keep citizens of Brook from being annoyed and persecuted by people who have no business here. Is that clear? I'm not working a case here.
1: Floyd asked me to deliver some messages to people living here before he died. I got the idea about the book and now I'm doing research on officers who died in the line of duty. I'm starting with Lebrook so I can deliver Floyd's messages. So if I'm working for anyone, it would be Floyd. I don't work for any merry horseman. He looked at me for what seemed like a long time. He leaned back in his chair and glanced at the man behind him
2: again. It's just this, James. We get damn tired of characters nosing around here. The implication is that we didn't do our job. The hell, we didn't. This Mary Horseman is the wife of the guy who ran off with Leon Vincent's wife, Lizette. The name Horseman sounded familiar. Irene Hirsch mentioned a Horseman.
1: I think it is there in my notes. Prasad looked down at my notes. I was glad I came up with the idea of carrying around a notebook and writing in it like an author would do. It happened
2: nearly two years ago. The first inquiry came from the company Horseman worked for. We did some hard work on it. Horseman was in town for three days. He was registered at the Le Brook Inn. On the last night he was there, Friday night, he had dinner at the hotel with Lisette. She was seen waiting in the lobby while he checked out. They were seen getting into his car. They were seen driving to the Vincent house. Lisette went in. Horseman waited in the car. A neighbor saw him waiting and saw her come out to the car with a big suitcase. They were seen driving off. Leon Vincent didn't report it to us right away. He knew what the score was when he got back to town and saw the things she'd taken. Clothes and money. It was an open and shut story. It happens all the time. But Mary Horseman can't bring herself to believe that her dear husband would take off with another woman. So she keeps sicking these investigators on us. You might be the third. He flipped through my notes again. You being here may be a coincidence. I have no proof. The horseman woman thinks something happened to her husband here. We know nothing happened to him here. I've lost patience, so this time we're making it tough. You can go. If I happen to be wrong, if you happen to be hired by that crazy woman, you better keep right on going, James. We got a small force here, but we'll be watching you.
1: He handed my notebook back to me, then nodded to the guy at the door. The big board man moved away from the door and let me out. There was no offer of a ride back to where they had picked me up. I walked. The walk wasn't long enough. Things just got worse. Stucky on one side, the cops watching me now, and still no real leads on Pixie. This was looking worse and worse. By the time I got to the end, I was still sore at Posad and company. I could grudgingly admit that maybe he thought he had cause to swing his weight around, but I didn't like being picked up like that. I had a drink at the dark bar at the end of the cocktail lounge. Business was light. I nursed my drink. I saw a big man come in and stand at the other end of the bar. He looked like the man I had seen in the sedan, but I couldn't be certain. I remembered the effect he had on Stucky. Besides the other things keeping me from the money, this man was a new wrinkle. He became aware of my interest. He turned, gave me a long look, and turned back to the drink the bartender had put in front of him. He had moved his head slowly when he turned to look at me. His eyes were in shadow. It was obvious that this was a man who could handle himself. I had a sudden, instinctive premonition of danger. Stucky was a danger, but a known quantity. I did not know this man or where he fitted in. He finished his drink quickly and left. I looked down at my drink. I saw myself lying dead, sprawled cold. It was a fantasy that had been with me since Abby died. I imagined how it would be to just cease abruptly, eternally. My mission in La Brook suddenly seemed pointless. There was no chance of finding the money. Even if there was, and I did find it, would it really change anything? It was the past two rent that caused me to remember the story Floyd had told me. There was nothing in Pensacola to hold me anymore. I imagined driving down to Central America after I found the money. I'd head towards South America until it ran out. I imagined me starting over somewhere new and exotic. Now, as I said at the bar, I couldn't imagine the money or heading for South America via Morris changing anything. Abby had been my anchor. No close family left. I could think of no one who gave a special damn whether I lived or died.
0: Thank you for listening to Seamus. If you like this episode of Seamus, please leave a review and tell your friends. Seamus, The Case of the Mason Jar Part 5, Questions from the Police, is based on the book A Bullet for Cinderella by John Macdonald. Hunter James was played by Tom Hinton. The police officer was played by Thomas Thompson. Lieutenant Sudeep Passard was played by Gordon Adams. I'm Leslie Woodrow. This episode of Seamus was written by Max Reese and directed by Tom Hinton. Seamus is a New Meadows Media Production. All rights reserved.